Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash genre. Over 180,000 titles to choose from from your iPhone, Android, or Kindle. That's audibletrial.com forward slash G-E-N-R-E. Weirdo bookworms unite! We want to share our love of genre fiction with you. Fans of horror, sci-fi, fantasy, and more can stop by as we chat about what we've been reading. Hey everybody, and welcome to Genre Junkies. I am your host, Sandra. And I am Scott. Hey, so let's call this episode the Better Late Than Never Sci-Fi Doubleheader. I like it. I literally just came up with that. That's how good I am. Yeah, we're recording this later than the episode was supposed to go out. Uh, We have our reasons. Um, The holiday threw us off schedule-wise, 4th of July here in America. And you can maybe tell from my my voice, I have a massive nasty sinus infection. And it's really slowed me down for the past couple of weeks. So we didn't want to record when I couldn't really talk. It would have been sonically unpleasant. Uh, Let's just say, as it is, Scott's already going to have to edit out all of my coughing, my hacking, and my, like, gross, um, like, drippy nasal sounds. But the show must go on. Yeah, so here we are. So this is um, something a little different tonight. This is, like I said, it's kind of a doubleheader. Scott and I each decided to read two separate science fiction books. These are arcs that um, we graciously were given, and I read one, Ignite the Stars. And I read the other, Relic, by Alan Dean Foster. So we're going to talk about them. This is going to be a totally spoiler-free episode. We're actually going to start with my book, Ignite the Stars, and then we'll go into Scott's, and we're just going to kind of tell you a little bit about our experience and kind of what's your appetite and if these books are worth your time. Ooh, side note, I did want to add, this book put me in such a sci-fi mood. I've been reading the second Lunar Chronicles book, which is Scarlet, and I enjoyed it even more than Cinder. Um, I'm loving it. I'm slowly going to pick my way through the Lunar Chronicles universe, but um, I love it. Totally love it. Maybe we'll talk about those books uh, later on down the road, even though I'm probably the last person in the universe to read them. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, and I know Amanda's read them. Like I said, everybody, everybody's read them. I'm the last person to read them, and I'm sorry. No, um, I am the last person to read them. <laughs> I think you might dig these Lunar Chronicles. I think you might. So maybe, maybe you should read them too. I'll give them a shot. Yeah, and plus it's sci-fi, and I think you'll pretty much read anything sci-fi. I will read almost anything sci-fi. All right, so let's start with my book, which was Ignite the Stars by Mara Milan. This book is widely released on September 4th, so not too long. Let me tell you a little bit about it. Notorious rebel, criminal mastermind, and fearless pilot Ayacocha has been caught by the Olympus Commonwealth. Much to the imperious nation's shock, this warrior Robin Hood type is actually a 17-year-old girl. Her punishment is to be enrolled in the Commonwealth's elite military academy. What better way to staunch the rebels' cause than by turning their hero into an imperialist? So that's a pretty fun premise right there. That sounds really interesting. Hey, that's why I was like, I gotta read an arc of this book. So let me just start with my experience score just right off the bat. 
Uh, this was a solid good read for me. Um, it was fun. It's exciting. Um, it's a cool sci-fi premise, and I just wanted to keep knowing more. And I'm really happy with that because I actually, I knew I was going to like this book and I liked it even more than I thought I was going to. It was a really pleasant surprise. So I have a question about the book. Is it, Mm -hmm. it sounds like it could very much go uh, the direction of like Divergent or The Hunger Games. Does it kind of go that route or is it a different, is is it a different idea? Oh, definitely not in the first book. Um, I definitely don't want to spoil anything, give too much away. But it's not um, like a games premise. And I do love dystopian and sci-fi that has like a games premise. But there's no uh, there's no games. There's no games here. Okay. So that I'm I'm very interested to hear how that turns out then with that whole getting conscripted into that. Right. And um, I think it's very interesting that when they find out she's so young, they're like, oh, okay, there's another way we can turn this thing. Uh, I really liked that premise right there. So the character of Aya is a person of color, and you can see that from the cover of the book. Um, Beautiful model that they got there, beautiful colors on the front. Uh, And Mara, the author, is also a person of color. And I love celebrating diversity in books. Scott and I both love that. And if you love that and you want to support that, then you should definitely check this out. So um, in this world, they use the expression, like, what on ancient Earth? Like, instead of like, what in the world? And I, I freaking love that. I thought that was really cute. I know there's other books that do kind of the same thing. But um, I always love that when it's like they're referencing like a savages in the past. Uh, so the Commonwealth is a matriarchy, which I also loved. Um, and that always makes sense because matriarchies make sense because you can really track a lineage with a birth mother. It's indisputable. Um, So this particular world is ruled by Queen Lind and her wife, Queen Jewel. Okay, so it sounds like there's not only representation when it comes to race, there's representation when it comes to to, uh, sexuality. That's great. Yeah, and I really, really wanted to know more about these queens. I mean, of course, it's like the records. (laughs) (laughs) It was like a record scratch, and I immediately highlighted it because I'm like, yeah, yeah, the queens who rule the world, um, I'm freaking there for it. Kind of on that note, I really wanted to know more about the history of how we got here, um, how humankind got to this interstellar life. Because uh, we're not, you know, obviously it's ancient Earth. We're not here anymore. We're traveling through space. There's aliens and planets. And I really wanted to know more backstory of how we got to the Commonwealth. And that, I think, is what just held me back from being bombastically in love with this book is I wanted more world building. Is this like the first in a trilogy or is this kind of a standalone book? I'm there's cu- there's going to be more books, okay. but I don't know how far it's going to go. Um, Do you feel that the plot sets up maybe an explanation of what happened in the past or is it just kind of that's where you're set? I really hope so because they allude to all these different rich, interesting histories and I totally want to know more. I'm so bought into her world here. I'm so bought in and I'm just like, give me more like hook this delicious science fiction up to my veins. Um, There's a major subplot about refugees from another planet um, outside of the Empire and immigrants. And 
all of that is so relevant and so timely to what's going on, not only in America, but in the world right now. And um, that was huge to me in this book. I thought it was really fascinating um, talking about this group of people and how they're viewed and how they're treated. Really fantastic. And I don't think that sort of perspective is given a lot in enough books of someone who is really the other, the different, that it's kind of an us against them and we don't want them here. Um, very poignant, very emotional at times. So how are the characters written in this? Are, are they are they like well-written, well-rounded characters? Oh, yeah. So um, really, speaking of writing, her writing is beautiful. Her writing is lovely. She writes action super well. She writes combat super well. Um, her characters are definitely the focus of this story. And like when I said I wanted more world building, I wouldn't want to sacrifice all the yummy, um, delicious character stuff that's in here because that is really, really good. Um, our hero is Aya, and she is so cool. Um, she's this avenging warrior who's been through so much, and yet she's still holding on to her humanity. And she's young. She's super young. And so she's like, She's grown up um, really as this Robin Hood type of figure. Uh, she's a genius. Like, I wasn't kidding when I said she's a criminal mastermind. She's just always one step ahead. She's whip smart. And her humor is beautiful. It is dry and sarcastic. And she's just very tough. She's not only a great fighter up in the skies as a pilot, but she does hand-to-hand combat. And she just, um, she never wants people to see her flinch. She's, she's a tough girl, but not, um, without a little soft gooey center. So it sounds like she's, she's definitely been set up that way from the things from her past. So is she, is she really cognizant of of how other people see her or is it just how she? Yeah, because she's, she's basically a legend. She's kind of the figurehead. She gives the rebels kind of like, you know, this hero worship figure and she she backs it up she does a lot of action but that's why the commonwealth hates her and they thought she was like a man like an older man because she's so wise beyond her years and so ferocious uh, another character i want to tell you guys about is Bryn. Bryn is aya's roommate <laughs> and she's shy she's reserved and she's utterly brilliant she's smarter than aya She's smarter than anyone, but she holds back. She doesn't want people to know how smart she is. And she has a secret. She has a big secret, which I don't want to give away. But it is, um, it's very important not only to her character development, but to the story. Um, and I kind of like that when we know something, we know a little nugget that, um, some other characters know. And you're like, this is going to be big. This is going to be big. Like, when's the shoe going to drop? Uh, so that's really fun for me as a reader. And something kind of interesting about Bryn is she's a nationalist. She defied her parents by joining the military because she was so impassioned to be a part of the empire, to be a part of the Commonwealth. And I feel like that's a very different viewpoint that we don't always get in books. Um, I mean, we get a lot of the warriors, the Ayas, though Aya is special, but we don't get a lot of the people who are kind of drinking the Kool-Aid, so to speak, who are like, yeah, I'm just totally down with with the cause. I'm totally down with the current political climate. 
and I'm into it, and I want to defend the Olympus Commonwealth, and I'm patriotic and passionate. There definitely seems to be like a uh, a bit of a, a mirroring to Star Wars Empire and Rebels. Do you think that that's fair? Um, well, I'm totally fine with comparing and contrasting everything to Star Wars and life, because Star Wars is life. <laughs> uh, but that having been said, there was some stuff about it that really did remind me of Star Wars. It's kind of its own beast. Like in this, um, there there are other military academies. They're like the most elite, the the top of the top. And you take a test, and you become three paths. You become an engineer. You become a pilot. Or you become uh, a commander, basically. Like Now, are you sorted into these houses? Or is that <laughs> something that you, you test into? It's definitely not houses, but you do test into it. And, um, you know, they have some downtime. They have time to be kids. But at the same time, it's really serious business. They're being trained to prolong and strengthen the empire. And it's warring. And it's conquering. There's one more character I should mention, and that's a, a dude named Knives. Knives? Knives. Is, is that a nickname? <laughs> um, he says it's his real name. Okay. Uh, that's, he's that's, the, his, that's his Christian name. Sure. Um, <laughs> he is their flight instructor. He's got a mysterious past. He's young. He's handsome. He's troubled, but he's likable. Oh, the love interest, eh? Uh, somebody's love interest, maybe. Okay, okay. Um, He's not a bad character, but he pales in comparison next to our two leading ladies. Like, he's good there. Um, He's not bad. He's not a bad dude. He's not a bad character. He's not a bad uh, foil. But he is simply not as interesting as the two women. Sorry. Sorry, Knives. Cool name, though. Cool story, bro. I think that's okay. It seemed from the premise that it was a very female-forward book, and I'm okay with the with the male figures taking a background seat. Oh, totally. Oh, and speaking of cool nicknames, one of Aya's nicknames is the Blood Wolf of the Skies. That is dope. Like, I mean, does it get better than that? Does it get better than being the Blood Wolf? Not, no, not really. Oh, that's badass. So in summary... This is a cool, badass, awesome chicks in space being young and interesting and sometimes preciously naive and sometimes incredibly heroic story. And obviously, I recommend it. You should read it. You should support this sort of thing being made. Um, I'm going to give it an appeal score broad. Uh, it's very approachable sci-fi, which is what I like. The length and depth is not intimidating. It's extremely easy to pick up and get into. I, you know, my only qualm is that I wanted more world building. And if that's the worst thing I can say about something, then I'll take it. Read this book. Read Ignite the Stars. You're, you're going to love it. Well, I'm really excited to talk about world building like you just talked about when it comes to Relic. Oh, let's have a segue into Relic. So let's take a quick break, but this time it won't be spoilers afterwards. Nope. It will be Relic. Relic. Enjoying the show? Please like and subscribe on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Genre Junkies. And don't forget to visit the website, genrejunkies.com. Welcome back to the Sci Fi Doubleheader. Better late than never sci-fi doubleheader. I can't stop. 
I'm so proud of myself. That is absolutely going to be the name of this episode. Well, yeah. Um. So, Scott. Sandra. You read a another arc, Relic, by Alan Dean Foster. <laughs> Tell us all about it. Well, first of all, I wanted to extend a great thanks to Del Rey with uh, Random House for sending us this arc. Um, I emailed them directly because I really wanted to read it. Mm -hmm. And I have a physical copy of the arc in my hand. And that's just great. Oh, hell yeah. You know what? Kids' dreams do come true. Wish big, dream big, and Relic could be yours. And I really wanted to read this book because... I have been a unintentional fan of Alan Dean Foster for years. What? Wait, hold on. I did not know. Hold on. Elaborate here. Well, now, I didn't realize that I was a fan of Alan Dean Foster, but he does a lot of movie novelizations. He did the novelizations for Alien and Aliens. He did the novelization for, uh, well, Star Wars and more specifically, the sequel to Star Wars before Empire Strikes Back came out, <gasps> Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Yeah. And he did the novelization for The Force Awakens. And I've read a lot of these books, and and I didn't even realize it was all the same person. So when I connected those dots and I found out he was coming out with a new book, I had to read it. Well, yeah, I mean, he's a legend. This man is a legend. Yeah. So Relic, here's a rundown of the basic story of Relic. The human race spread across the stars, and with their domain growing, so too did their hubris. Aided by a biological weapon gone wild known as the Aura Malignance, the humans eradicated themselves from existence. Save for one, Ruslan, who is not only the last known surviving human, but the first to encounter an alien species, the Mazari, who consider Ruslan a rare and unique specimen. A reluctant Ruslan is being persuaded by the Mazari to repopulate the human race. Is it possible? And is it the right thing to do? Ooh, ethical questions in science fiction. Now, I will say first and foremost that what interested me about this book was the author and not the premise. And that premise I wrote myself. Oh, very nice. And I want to I say usually that, write all our premises. You do a very nice job. Well, thank you very much. I'm not quite as good of a writer as you are, but I, I, I tried very hard. Stop, stop. So I'm going to start with my experience score because this one was a little bit weird for me, but I am going to give it a good read. Okay. Specifically, I enjoyed reading the book. It's it's a very peaceful and slow-paced read, but not in a grindy sort of way. I think this is the perfect kind of book to read while you're reading other books. Oh, very soothing? I found it to be incredibly soothing. Now, it is hard science fiction, complete with kind of fantastically scientific ideas on how Ruslan survives on different planets because of these aliens who have extended his lifespan. Uh, there's some kind of crazy descriptions of what different aliens look like. Some hilarious ideas. We're going to come back to that. Everybody stay tuned. That's going to circle around at the end of this episode. But yeah, I enjoyed it. It took me longer than a typical book like this would take me to read. But that's because I just really took my time and enjoyed it. And, and most books are not like that for me. And I like that for this. I liked this for that. <laughs> this, that, here, there. It's all good. So um, we talked about it being kind of soothing, kind of calm, kind of a slow churn. Tell me a little bit more about his writing style. Well, his writing style in this particular book comes off a little bit disconnected, like a little bit sociopathic almost. Do you think that's deliberate? I do think it's deliberate. I think that Foster puts a deliberate sense of unreality to it all. 
Because if you're the last surviving person in your entire race, there's a level of that that just becomes the only the only way that you could actually handle that is to be disconnected from reality without going insane. <laughs> um, that's a really good point. I have to say that premise of being the last human in the known galaxy is so frightening and so fascinating the responsibility he must feel. Well, and that is one of the most interesting things that I find about this book is he has a lot of conflicting emotions when it comes to his response his his feeling of responsibility to his race, the idea of whether his race really deserves to exist anymore, whether he deserves to exist anymore. That's a pretty good segue into the characters because um from what I understand of this book, Ruslan's not a young man either. So so tell us a little bit about Ruslan. Well, Ruslan, I believe, is described to be around 130 years old. Jesus, okay. Now, part of that is because he has his he has a third lung and artificial parts that were given to him by the Masari. Cool. Kinda. But, but also, um, it's made pretty clear that humans in this far, far future just live longer than we do now. Uh, middle age, like, like I shouldn't even say middle age, like people who are in their 30s now is about equivalent to someone who's in probably about their 70s. Oh, I'll take that. Somebody in their 30s. <laughs> uh, but Ruslan is a, he's an interesting exploration into what the last human would look like and what specifically it would be like if that last human just kind of didn't care. The other thing, speaking of characters, is there's a number of Masari who become actual characters in this book and, and really have very different types of personalities than what you would normally see written in fiction because they are so alien. Right. They're not humanoids, which can make for super interesting character stuff. They are three-sided aliens, and they're, the descriptions are inconsistent. But this is an arc. Um, I'm not sure if those things will necessarily. I think. I think some of those things will be fixed in post, if you will. <laughs> but they, he paints a very interesting picture on this just completely alien species, and I think that that's purposeful as well in some respects. Because how do you picture something that is just so un, so un, so inhuman, so in Earth-like? something that just has a completely different path. How do you describe something like that clearly without it seeming like something equivalent here on Earth? They're just so different, and they think so different. That is that is super fascinating to me because, yeah, I mean, biologically they'd be different because they're from a different planet. So, like, the air they breathe, or do they like light? Do they not like light? Um, you know, do they eat food? Do they only eat liquids? Like, it poses a lot of interesting questions. And how did you relate to them as a human reader? At first, they were incredibly alien, and I, I honestly had a lot of trouble relating to them. I feel that Foster does a very good job throughout the book of slowly introducing you to their way of thinking so that eventually you feel like they're real fleshed out characters, even though they're just so alien. I cared about a number of them by the end. Uh, one in particular, Ruslan is assigned a protector, a translator, even though he has now learned the language of the Masari, but someone to kind of 
walk him through life amongst the Masari and watch him and protect him. And uh, that character is Keles. I think that that's how you pronounce it. Now, Keles is interesting because Keles is neither male nor female. In the Masari species, there are actually three genders. There is male, female, and intermet. Ooh, I love it. Tell me more. So the idea is, is that in a typical Masari family, there would be the male, the female, and then the, and those two would combine with the intermet and the three of them would be a family structure. And the intermet is actually the one that carries and births the child. That is really beautiful. And I'm, I'm really into it. And it's really neat how right away the main character that you're introduced to of the Masari is an intermet, is a not, is a non-typical gender character it's a um a they a they and how and i i it's hard for me in this because i want to specify in this book at least in this uh version of it keles is referred to as s apostrophe h e e that's really cool now all of the masari in this book have an apostrophe in their names it's all it's all um segmented name. So Keles is K-A- or K-E-L apostrophe L-E-S. So I think that that was a neat way for Foster to tie that in. And very early on, Ruslan even says that he was a name that was a word that he created to describe the intermets. Because for the intermets, there isn't really a differentiation. It sounds like they don't really have a he and she. They probably just use they. I'm not sure why Mr. Foster did not use they as a description, but maybe he felt in a science fiction setting it would be more clear. Hmm. Regardless, I'm not going to judge him too hardly on that because I really think that that being the main alien character that you get to know throughout the book is just so powerful that it is a non-gendered character. Yeah, no, it, it really sounds um, really beautiful and really fascinating and inclusive and progressive uh i dig that i dig that is there um is there anything else you can tell us about this book how about a appeal score so appeal score is the one place where i think that this my score for this book is going to be limiting i do think that this does have a pretty narrow even like kind of a niche appeal it's very hard science fiction this is not for uh, the beginners. This is this is not entry level work. It's not. I guess I was expecting, and this is not fair to Mister Foster, but considering the other books I had read, I was expecting something like a Star Wars or an Alien, something that reaches everybody mm. and introduces them to science fiction. This is very hard, specific science fiction, and it, and in many parts of the book, there are specific science fiction ideas and technology that's introduced to you that have no real bearing on the story, but mm-hmm. is in there for people who are interested in that. Well, which is you. Like, you are someone who is died in the wool, tried and true sci-fi. You've been reading sci-fi longer than any genre. Um, and I think it's important that people keep writing books for you guys. Now, what's great about you is that you can recognize when sci-fi should be softer and when sci-fi should pull back a little and when sci-fi should be a little bit more approachable. But I think it's really important that you're letting all the other like really hardcore sci-fi warriors know like, hey guys, this is one for us, one for the home team. Yeah. And 
It's always disappointing for me to give something a niche score because, especially in this case, I think the premise is so strong and so interesting. I want a general to mass appeal version of this book with this premise. But I'm also really happy that Mr. Foster really just kind of wrote this for us. He, he wrote it for the fans. He wrote it for the tied and true. But um, I think that's cool because maybe some people are ready for that jump into hard sci-fi. And this could be the book for them. Uh, no, maybe. No, I, I, I really have to say this book is probably niche. It goes into very specific hard science fiction ideas and goes in non-traditional narrative directions. I wonder if that's the final cover, because it's a really beautiful cover on our copy. It's like a white spine, and then the cover has got kind of a moon, and it's got like a little man, like, oh, how small I am in compared to the cosmos, and I find it very powerful. Yeah, it's kind of a guy standing on kind of somewhat more rockier moonscape, looking off at an alien planet, and he's kind of has his arms out in like almost like a jesus sort of pose i love it it's really beautiful yeah i I like it a lot i hope it is the final cover i think it's good well if not we're gonna post a picture of anyway so you guys totally see it um speaking of posting a picture so scott and i have talked a little bit about the descriptions of the aliens in this book and we don't want to quote directly because this is an arc and things could change but we thought it would be fun to make a little game where Scott and I each drew, based on the author's description, our interpretation of the alien species. And we're going to post that on Instagram. And I mean, I mean, you guys could always vote for which one you like more. Which you should, of course, vote for mine. You should vote for mine. No, mine. Definitely <laughs> mine. Uh, so look forward to that. It's going to be hilarious. I think we're going to need a lot of alcohol. You're going to need a lot of alcohol. All right, everybody. That brings us to the conclusion of this sci-fi evening. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Scott, for reading and recapping Relic. And thank you, Sandra, for reading and recapping the book that you read, (laughs) Ignite the Stars. All right, everybody, gaze out your windows at the moon, the stars, the beautiful cosmos. Ponder your existence in this massive, infinite universe. And please keep reading past your bedtime. (laughs) 